Hello and welcome to episode 120 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing great, Mark. Uh, you know, Jay's cap off a pretty nice weekend, uh, taking the Phillies out. And, uh, you know, regardless if it was a uh, Sunday might have been a little bit of an ugly win, but either way, they close things off on a good note and they continue to roll. Yeah, a little bit rough around the edges, but the Blue Jays still winning. Take two of three. They've now won 15 of their last 22 games, um, and they are five games above 500 for the first time this season. And for the first time since, I don't even know, they weren't over five games in 2020, certainly not in 2019 or 2018 or 2017. So it's been a while since we've been this good, but how are you, Jacob? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Series dub, I'll take it. Sunday was uh, brutal, but you know what? I'm I'm happy knowing that this team is it's, it's really clicking considering uh, all things that's been going on with them. Yeah, and the offense has really come to light. Um, we've been talking about the pitching all season. We talked about the pitching mostly last episode, but today, or this series, it was really all about the hitting. You had Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hitting home runs in all of the games this weekend against Philadelphia and he's kind of heating up after a little bit of a drive spell he's still hitting over 300 though I don't know how much we can call it cooling off but certainly heating up there Lourdes Goriel Jr. had an incredible series he had two hits in each of the three games that the Blue Jays played Marcus Simeon coming off that 12 game hit streak got it started again in the last game the Sunday game in that Philadelphia series so Overall, a great series for the Blue Jays. It was 30 hits total, and I looked it up over the entire series. Only four Blue Jays starters failed to get on base. So that was Marcus Simeon in um, Saturday's game, and then three other guys in Friday's game. But besides that, in every single game, every starter got on base at least once. So that's pretty impeccable when you look at it. So what are some of your biggest takeaways coming away from this series against Philadelphia and going into some of these other series as we progress through the month of May? What are some of your takeaways? Well, first off, I want to give a little bit of credit to Reese McGuire. He he played in uh, May 14th and 15th game. He didn't play in the last game, but he had one hit in five a uh, four ABs actually my bad but he's hitting over three hundred this season so only a few starts but you know what injuries to to Alejandro Kirk Danny Jansen came in Reese McGuire's come in and he's you know what he's done a good job especially considering what he did uh, last season and he wasn't doing very well I think we can also look at the pitching too because you look at at Stephen Matz he struggled for I think it was three straight starts where he was not very good and he threw he was fantastic in game one I think we can call it scoreless outing. Uh, same thing, I think, with Anthony Kay, four scoreless outings. And honestly, Robbie Ray, I think he was good in, in game three as well. I know I just mentioned all the starters, but Robbie Ray was fantastic. He allowed four earned runs, but I'm going to sort of excuse that considering there was some defensive issues. Some were errors, some were just the, the players in the outfield couldn't see the ball, but he was really good. And overall, I think the pitching was a lot better this series, at least in the starting pitching. I think, unfortunately, the bullpen and some of the key guys in the bullpen have been struggling. When you look at Tim Meza, he's actually, in his last three innings pitched out of uh, four appearances, has allowed nine earned runs. So his ERA has gone from zero uh, four appearances ago to now 591. And he's, he's he, honestly, he's not looked very comfortable giving up a lot of home runs in the previous two series. But focusing on this one, he just, he hasn't looked great. Uh, but... Overall, I think the pitching was a lot better. Offense was heating up a lot in Game 3 primarily, but I think this was a very good series, especially going into a tough series against the Red Sox to get 2 of 3 from the Phillies. Easily could have been 3 of 3, but to get 2 of 3 and only be 
one and a half games back of first place going into a very tough series against the Red Sox is, is something that I think we can take away as a huge positive. Absolutely. Uh, the Jays continue to climb above 500. They're sitting now at 22 and 17. And yeah, this was a pretty uh, solid weekend. I know the Sunday game, I'll get into, that, uh, get into that in a sec, wasn't exactly the prettiest thing, but they did win. And then even starting to the first game of the series, which was on May 14th, the Friday, uh, as much as they dropped the series opener uh, against Philly, but I think the starting pitching was definitely uh, impressive as well. Steven Matz, we know the str- we know how he's been kind of been going up and down. And this was as much as he wasn't as efficient. He he only went five innings, but he had a high pitch count, I believe. He was uh, scoreless through five innings, only allowed four hits, struck out nine. So that was a little bit more used to the Steven Matz that we did see, uh, I guess, in his first couple of starts of the season when he started off against like Texas, Kansas City, when he had that good hot streak to open up the season. And obviously the offense that day was pretty quiet. But if you want to go to the next game, which was on May 15th, which was Saturday, uh, the, the Jays shut them out for uh, the Phillies out for nothing. And that was more of a complete game for me. That was obviously the most impressive game, I think, in my opinion as well throughout the weekend. Obviously for nothing, you're shutting out Philadelphia. but um, And they, they didn't really score... They scored a decent amount of runs, but it wasn't a lot, 4 nothing. And uh, you're going to have some of those games sometimes where you have low scoring and your pitching uh, was spectacular. When you look at that, I wish Anthony Kay pitched more than four innings. I'm going to say it right there. I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but either way, that was obviously his best showing of the season, regardless if he's coming out of the bullpen or starting. He went four innings, only gave up one hit, and struck out six, walked two. Uh, that was pretty impressive through Anthony Kay. And somebody that is kind of, I guess, has this opportunity now to fill in the starting rotation for the time being. Who knows how long he's going to be starting for, but we know with the recent demotion of Nate Pearson, and now Nate Pearson suffering a minor setback, it doesn't seem like it's too concerning. Anthony Kay could be making a few more starts before I guess we get to that uh, point where Nate Pearson might return to the uh, the roster. But yeah, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. continues to hit the ball well. We know that what he did on Saturday and even on the Sunday, um, he is now second as well in the entire uh, league in terms of OPS. He's up there in walks, he's up there in home runs, RBIs, batting average, you name it. He is continuing to play well as much as you want to call this a dry spell, quote unquote, I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty good dry spell, but uh, yeah, and even Lourdes Gurriel Jr., we're finally seeing him slowly get over the 200 mark in terms of his batting average, and uh, on the Saturday as well, he went two for four with an RBI, and something that we are used to seeing from Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and we're hoping that he can get going. Obviously, not everybody was going um, throughout the weekend, but someone like Kevin Biggio as well was playing well, I thought, somebody that kind of caught my eye, and then May 16th, which was a very offensive game for both sides. Obviously an ugly win, but it started off pretty good for the Jays. They, I think they went up, what, it was like almost 7 or 8 nothing to begin yeah, with. Yeah, 8-0. Yep. Put and up a 5 Robbie spot Ray. pretty early on. It was. And it was like I said, it was a great start, and this had a kind of a feeling that this was going to be one of those blowout wins. And unfortunately, either way, going for both teams, the defense was awful. I don't know. There was the one in particular inning for Philadelphia alone in the outfield and the infield. Gene Segura made a weird play at second base where it hopped over his glove. It was just very yeah, strange. And then, Randall, yeah, and, and then they were yelling about it in the dugout <laughs> yeah, for Philadelphia. Exactly. And Joe Girardi, after the game, refused to say anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> the sun was also in the outfield. It was crazy. Oh, yeah, it, it, the Randall Gritchick play as well I wanted to talk about where he just completely, he didn't even have a read on the ball. Right away, his arms went up, and uh, yeah, either way, both teams struggling with that. Obviously, the offense helped them through that. The starting pitching, Robbie Ray, I know 
uh, he allowed four earned runs, but as well, they really pushed him. Um, and I was actually surprised they let him go out back on the sixth inning. I think he threw almost 120 pitches. I don't know the exact number, but it was, it was pretty close to that. And just looking at that, Robbie Ray, uh, either way, I thought he was good. I know there was a few times as well defensively where he was obviously hung out to dry, in particular that Randall Gritchick play. Unfortunately, I think they took that down as a triple or something like that. And that goes against his ERA. So that's why I'm not looking too much into the four earned runs from Robbie Ray. He struck out nine. He walked one, something that we continue to see, which is good. He's keeping the walks down. He's keeping the strikeouts up. And that is why uh, I'm I'm fine with the way he pitched. Uh, the exact number uh, through Robbie Ray was 112 pitches. There you go. And 75 strikes. And that game alone on the Sunday, Marcus Semien, three RBIs. Bo Bichette, two RBIs. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., two RBIs. Randall Gritchick, two RBIs. So like I said, the offense was there. Pitching, on the other hand, was a little bit ugly. Even some of the bullpen decisions at the end, I don't know if you guys kind of disagreed with it. A lot of people were wondering why it was Beasley coming in on that ninth inning. And, of course, a little bit of a scare as the Phillies slowly came back. Luckily, it wasn't enough. And uh, thank goodness. But either way, just an ugly win, even though they got the win. And um, you're rolling now. You're going to be having tough—you have a tough opponent against you in Boston who's continuing to stay hot heading into the month of May. Now we're in mid-May. So this will be an interesting three-game series as well. And um, either way, you're heading into a series on a good note. So that's why I'll take this uh, weekend as a, a win without trying to judge it too much in terms of that game on the Sunday. Although, heading into that Boston series, it is going to be tough, right? The Red Sox are 25-17. and 17, But the Blue Jays are a game and a half back in the AL East. So they take two of three. It could get interesting. They're going to be atop the AL East. Save, you know, the Yankees could do something interesting. They're only two games back. So... You know, things could shake up this series if the Blue Jays keep rolling. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, it it kind of was weird that previously we've been talking about how the pitching is carrying this week. And it was kind of the hitting that was carrying. There was some disappointments in the rotation. Whether you look at Robbie Ray's start as a disappointment, that's, you know, kind of subjective. But certainly the bullpen um, blew a couple of big spots, almost blew the game um, on Sunday, um, blew the game definitively on Friday because they gave up those five runs after Stephen Matt's scoreless outing. So a little bit of a rough spot there. On Robbie Ray, yeah, uh, like I think it is really interesting that the Blue Jays rolled him out there for 112 oh, pitches. Yeah. I don't know the last time we saw someone throw 112 pitches in a start. Especially under Montoyo. Exactly. Like it's been a while since that has happened. So that was really interesting. But like I know the Blue Jays were just trying to get everything they could against him because it's not every day that you have an 8-0 lead against a team and and the Blue Jays were trying to give the bullpen room to breathe, which is what we've been asking for for so long. So I'm I'm perfectly fine with that decision. Even if he does give up four runs, even if he does give up, I think it was three home runs. Like that's not a problem. Ideally, even if that happens, you get those few extra outs. The bullpen should be able to take it from there. The bullpen shouldn't be giving up four runs. So I'm not disappointed in that decision. It's fine. I'm happy with it, and I'm certainly not worried about. Robbie Ray at all. Um, we mentioned Vladdy. Do you think until George Springer comes back, obviously he is the heart of this lineup and like no one's doubting that, but do you think like getting protection from the guys around him, like Marcus Simeon heating up, Bo Bichette coming in and out of hot spells and cold spells fa- fairly frequently, but guys around him, Teoscar, even Gurriel farther down in the lineup, guys around him are heating up. Do you think that extra protection helps him and has been the reason he's been able to break out of that hot that that cold streak and come out of this weekend with three home runs? 
I think it actually has because here's the thing. Now we've seen Vladdy actually get intentionally walked a couple times this season, but if you intentionally walk Vladimir Guerrero Jr., what do you do? You pitch to Teoscar Hernandez or Randall Gritchick, two guys that are hitting close to 300. I, I don't think you do that. Uh, and I mentioned, I can't remember if this was a couple months ago or whatnot, but I mentioned that one of the, the benefits of George Springer is that he makes this lineup so much deeper in the sense that there are nine guys that could easily perform for this team. And there's not Vladdy saying, I have to be the guy that, that drives in, you know, four home or four RBIs in a game and really carries the team. Because I, I really, like the Blue Jays have, are I would say maybe six to seven elite hitters and therefore they don't have anybody that has to carry. And so when you have a guy like Teoscar Hernandez right below Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Randall Gritchick, or you have Bo Bichette right above him, like there's nobody that you can just pitch to and hope that you get the next guy out. So Vladdy's kind of taking that and saying, the pressure's not necessarily on me. It's dispersed amongst the entire lineup. And now I can I can do damage when I'm not expecting it. And I mean, three home runs in this series, that says it right there. I mean, I believe it was a solo shot in the last game. So that could have been the difference between winning and losing. I mean, well, maybe not exactly, but basically the point is, is Vladdy's able to take advantage of these opportunities and not have to be the guy. He's not, if he strikes out with the bases loaded, the guy behind him can easily drive in three. And that's, I think the biggest thing that he's taken this season. Also, I think we do need to give credit to him as a person. You know, obviously he's really put a lot of effort into working out, becoming more of an athlete, more versatile, and really doing a lot of the things that, make him a much better overall baseball player. So credit should be, I think, given to him as well. But when you combine an elite hitter with six or seven other elite hitters, I think you get a extremely lethal lineup that now there's realistically, you you can get, I think Charlie Montoyo can trust almost anybody in that lineup to give you an RBI. And that's, I think where Vladdy is really stepping up because as I said, he's not the, he's not the one he's one of a bunch and that's really helping him, I think, drive in more runs. Because where, you know, when it is his turn to bat, the opportunity that for him is there, and he's taking it. Yeah, that's a good question because you can look at it from a few different points, and then of course the one point alone, which was what Jacob was making now, which I completely agree with, is the deepness of this lineup, maybe taking pressure off of him. Obviously, more flexibility throughout the lineup. He's been comfortable all season in the third hole. We know that as much as he's been in a somewhat cold spell. Uh, if you look at his the past seven days, his OPS is still over a thousand. It's actually almost at thirteen hundred. As much as the batting average has kind of dipped, uh, either way, he's still hitting the ball lights out. And uh, overall in the season, like I mentioned, second in the league in OPS. But either way, uh, I don't know how much I want to take it from there. I do think it has a part in it, but I also want to kind of focus more on him alone because we know all of the mistakes he's made throughout his first two years are, I guess, with the, not including this year, the mistakes he's made defensively, offensively, he's obviously had to make a position change right away, maybe a little bit earlier than anticipated. And it just seemed that when he came up here, those first two years, 2019 and 2020, um, he was just very, uh, he was a f- aggressive swinger. He was a free swinger. He would swing at everything. And maybe that's just him not being disciplined. Well, it obviously is, but maybe that's also him trying to do too much, maybe trying to do this and do that. And I think over these past two years and even entering now, when we want to include this year, heading into the spring, heading into the regular season, he's kind of understood the mistakes it has and the qualities it has to be a major league header. And he's learned a lot from this. And when you look back at this, if this is the year where he breaks out and then we see this consistently throughout the rest of his career, the bulk of his career in his prime, when you want to look back, these two years could, 
or in 2019 and 2020 could have been the best thing to happen to him in terms of all the mistakes he's made. Obviously, right right now or at the time, it was very frustrating. But who who knows? Maybe in the future when he's like this every year, or hopefully he is, you can look back at 2019 and 2020 and realize that a lot of these things were just meant to be for him to excel as a major league header. Everyone adapts differently. I know there's comparisons to Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis. Obviously, those guys adapted earlier or faster than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did. But you now you're seeing the true Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's up there. He's the big. He's one of those big names. He's being featured on here. He's being featured here. He's top uh, top five in terms of pretty much all offensive numbers. He's leading the Blue Jays alone in this and that. And that's why I want to focus more on this in terms of his own personal development. And it's been very cool and very just remarkable to see the transition he has made, especially going back to last year to this year. He, he's a completely different hitter. He doesn't chase at this. He doesn't chase at that. We've had conversations about that. He's almost... I don't know if he's still leading the team in walks, but he's up there. He's got to be top three still. Leading the team in walks. He's been clutch with runners on. He's getting base hits. He's more agile. He's playing defensive. He's playing good defensively. I think on Sunday was one of his, I think it was his first error officially at first base when he had that kind of just um, a blooper of a play. Unfortunately, it happened. But either way, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., him hitting well and the other team hitting well, I think it goes to Mark's point as well, is that maybe this is taking some pressure off of him in terms to excel. It's making him calm down, and I guess just it go, it mixes with that in his own personal development. But I do think it has a major point to you and uh, Jacob's point, Mark. Mm-hmm. Now, to, I, I know we mentioned it before, but the bullpen, like, yes, the hitting was great. Are we finally seeing that bullpen implosion that we've been talking so much about like we're 40 games into the season for the blue jays are we finally getting to the point where the workload is too much on the bullpen we saw it around this time last season around 40 45 games into the season things started to fall apart in the bullpen is that where we're at right now or is this just a few bad games that the blue jays are going to get over because i think that's you know if you're looking at anything in this hot streak for the Blue Jays, this is where the concern comes from. Because the hitting, it's sustainable. Springer's going to come back. Things are going to go well. The pitching, I think the starting pitching has been doing well. They haven't been stressed a lot. You know, they're, they've been coming out of the game in the fourth inning, so of course they haven't been stressed a lot. But the bullpen is the reason why the Blue Jays might not be able to continue this hot streak. So do you guys think that this is a point where the bullpen implodes and things maybe go downhill for them? I th- I think it could be honestly like I feel like this Boston series will really answer that question and I think we should actually go back to that but game two of the series they obviously shut out the Phillies but I mentioned Tim Mazza you know he's allowed two earned runs in both of his appearances this series Jordan Romano um, he I think he had a lot uh, more work than he should have had in this series but in the second game he allowed a run Jeremy Beasley allowed an earned run I don't I mean and also Trent Thornton allowed I think it was three in game one so like the 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 pitching is starting to I think weaken a little bit but I feel like that's more of just the fact that it's so overworked now when you have so many guys on the IL especially a 60-day IL it's it's hard to say that those reinforcements are coming and guys will kind of puzzle back into where they're supposed to be and then they'll stop allowing earned runs because you know Tim Mays is throwing two innings or three innings when he should only be throwing one I don't know if we can necessarily say that but I want to see how the bullpen is handled in the Boston series before I kind of make an assessment because primarily because I do think this bullpen is still good. It didn't look very good in the Philly series at all, really, except for the game where they shut them out. But 
yeah, I'm really hoping that this isn't a, a, a the beginning of the end because obviously you're not playing 60 games, that you're playing 162 games, and you're playing more than 100 games more than last season. So I'm really hoping that they're able to rebound. Obviously, the off day today could help. As you know, we said Jordan Romano, Tim Meza, they played or pitched in quite a few of those games. So I think we'll have to wait and see see how they handle the the uh, Boston series. Obviously, Ryu is starting in game one, so maybe there's six to seven innings that you don't need to to cover from the bullpen. So that's I think where I'm at. We just give it th- three more days from when this is uploaded to then we to when we see. Is the bullpen, is it really faltering against also a good team in the Red Sox, the AL East uh, leader? So is that, you know, is that where they are able to kind of rebound and, you know, be the bullpen that they that they really are? I think that's probably the best way to put it. But yeah, it was not the the bullpen that we have seen in the Philly series. It was, it was quite bad for a lot of it. And it was scary, honestly. You know, when you rely on your bullpen and you only throw anywhere from four to six innings out of your starting rotation. You need your bullpen to be good, and we just didn't see that, I don't think, in, in the Philly series. So I'm, I'm hoping that the the addition of Jeremy Beasley and A.J. Cole throughout the last week, that they're able to take a bit of pressure off, but again, we'll have to see how, how they handle this off day and then the next three games against a tough AL East opponent. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. I think it's too early to tell. I think this Red Sox series will definitely have an impact. Obviously, the off day today, the day we're recording on Monday, potentially helps. But, you know, when you want to look at it, we yes, the first game of the series, it was Trent Thornton and Tim Meza who gave a majority of the runs. Trent Thornton had two earned runs. Tim Meza had three earned runs. And I'll just uh, fast forward to the third game of the series uh, as well. It was pretty. It was Jordan Romano who gave up one, Beasley one, and then Meza two. So Meza, unfortunately, had a rough series alone. Jordan Romano... Not worried about that run. It was just it could have just been one run. And then of course with Beasley, I don't know how much the Jays plan to use him. I don't know. I I don't assume it's going to be in high leverage situations at the moment unless they are really depleted in terms of their stamina or their workload or whatever. But the second game of the series is what I want to point out from May fifteenth. I it was I found it interesting how. I guess so. Travis Bergen came in after Anthony K. He pitched one inning, one scoreless. Uh, it was solid. AJ Cole came out. And he came out again for the next inning. He went almost two innings. He went an inning and two thirds. Are the Jays relying on a, on fresh arms like AJ Cole because of the other guys? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Tyler Chatwood, of course, an inning and a third. So he came out for another inning as well. That kind of caught my eye a little bit. But the biggest part that caught my eye, and we spoke about it already, was the decision to bring out Robbie Ray again in that sixth inning on the Sunday game. I'm not going to lie, because I know it was good for us, because I agree with you guys, I think it was the right decision to make. But under this Montoya regime, in terms of bullpen management, that's not something that they wanted to do. There is no way they wanted to do that, and we know that. That concerned me a little bit, because you're throwing out Robbie Ray, over 100 pitches, he goes back out, he gets two more outs. I just, I didn't have a good feeling about that. I, I like the decision, but under Montoya, it's just uncharacteristic. And that's why I'm wondering, how depleted is this bullpen really? And are we getting to that point now? And of course, not only has that been an issue in terms of them pitching all the time, but now when you're looking at it, look at all the guys they have on the injured list. We I don't need to go over the list again because we have a few times already. Everyone knows the injuries. It's pretty much most of them. Those are a lot of arms that you can't, you don't even have access to right now as much as they're being overworked. I'm a little concerned, but this Red Sox series will answer that question for me. But the Robbie Ray thing yesterday really had me wondering... 
is this bullpen is is are we getting to the point where we've been talking about it? Is this bullpen slowing down already? And it's only May seventeenth, and you can see how that's a concern. I think we're just over the quarter mark now of the season, so that also explains that. But I mean, I just I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I, I just the Robbie Ray part for me was the one that kind of got me wondering about that question that Mark just asked. Yeah, I think like as much as we like the decision, it's a sign that the mentality of Montoyo has changed that the thought process for these guys has changed given the the workload on the bullpen. But I'm going to go the other way from you guys. Like I'm certainly very concerned about this. Like if, like I said, like if anything at this point is going to end the Blue Jays hot streak, it's going to be the bullpen because it could implode very easily and turn things around very quickly. But ultimately I think, I, I think the Blue Jays have enough coming back in terms of reinforcements. Jacob, you were mentioning this, but I think they do have enough arms coming back to, make it work. Rafael Dolis hopefully coming off the injured list tomorrow. Um, Nick Algar, who was called up, has been sent back down without making an outing because we anticipate the corresponding move is going to be Dolis activated before the game tomorrow. Thomas Hatch is making progress. Maybe he's back in two to three weeks, early June, mid-June. I know that's a little bit of a ways off, but it's just something down the road that could help supplement the bullpen. And then Anthony Castro, I don't know if we've heard much about his timeline but he might be someone who can come back you know after this Boston series or after the next series and supplement the bullpen there and of course the guy they just sent down Nick Alligator who obviously they they have confidence because because they called him up in the first place even though he didn't make an outing out of the bullpen and he is a starter in AAA so he can kind of fill that long man role in the bullpen so overall I think they have enough arms where they can kind of ragtag it through and make it through this I don't know how sustainable it is long term I just think like over the next few weeks it won't be that much of a problem maybe it becomes a problem in late June in July after the all-star break maybe that's when it starts to be a concern but then even then you have the trade deadline at your disposal so I'm concerned about this it's definitely the breaking point for the Blue Jays this is where they're going to snap first but I don't think it's going to happen or at least I hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, also, starting rotation is still not fully complete. And I think we can anticipate Nate Pearson coming back maybe within the month. I'd, I mean, I'd hope. I think that's maybe an accurate guess sometime within the month of June. And what that does is that also gives the Blue Jays another arm. Because, okay, that's another game that... I mean, Anthony Kay is taking his spot in the rotation. But just adding another starter gives you less innings that the bullpen has to cover. And that'll, that will for sure help them considering, I mean, there's no guarantee that Nate Pearson's going to throw five to six innings. That's the plan. That's what I hope. But even just the presence of getting a couple innings out of somebody that's not in the bullpen will definitely help them get the, get those innings a little bit under control. And then they're not necessarily saying, okay, all you guys that are, that pitched yesterday, you're off, but all the guys that pitched two days before, you're pitching now, and then it's it's a cycle through that because that's not sustainable. And so, yeah, hopefully reinforcements within the next couple of weeks come back. Uh, but, yeah, I, I like what you said there, Mark. This, I think, will be... The bullpen's been the best aspect of the team, I think, by far all season, but it will be the... It, it's kind of like a glass cannon, I think, right now. It's been so good, but eventually I think it will falter if it's, if it's pushed to its breaking point. Yeah, certainly Rafael Dolis coming back or expected to come back or hopefully is supposed to come back on the Tuesday. That's definitely good news for the bullpen for sure. You just don't want to overwork him already. It's just, 
Either way, like you said, uh, Ryu starts the opener, and then I believe it's Stripling and Mats two and three. I believe so. And either way, Ross Stripling coming off a, I guess, one of his better starts of the season. He's obviously gonna have to keep keep that up. But either way, out of these three guys, you need at least five. You need at least six innings. I mean, for it, it to be complete or to go as planned, you need six innings at least. And it unfortunately just hasn't gone that way majority of the time, unless it's been Ryu. So. I mean, I we could be overreacting, and Mark, I, I'm on board with you. Hopefully this series against Boston, we see a little bit more of a controlled bullpen in terms of performance, but either way, it's going to be a big test for them as we know how how good Boston's been going back to opening day. So uh, it's just that the bullpen already, you just don't want this to be something that slowly and slowly gets worse in downgrades, and that's why it's a little concerning for me because you saw it this weekend. You wanted to, I guess, stay the course or even continue to pitch better, so reinforcements obviously with Dolis coming back that will help but I mean people like Tim Meza had a bad series Trent Thornton obviously gave up the two runs in the opener of the series against uh, Philadelphia you want hopefully it was just bad performance I mean I just hope it's they're not tired but of course we really don't know we're just I guess guessing and based off of decision making it's giving us that impression like we mentioned with Robbie Ray coming back out for the sixth inning but um, this series alone will definitely be give us a better understanding of where the bullpen exactly sits. And best case scenario, when things start to fall apart in the bullpen, you get George Springer back in the lineup. The hitting takes over. As much as it already has, it's going to get better. I hope Springer's Springer, fastball's so. good. <laughs> Position player <laughs> pitching. No, but I like the bullpen is going to fall apart at some point. I just hope the hitting can bail it out when it does. That's my hope. And uh, if if this weekend was any indication, it can. We'll see if it continues. Probably won't. We're probably going to be here in a couple of weeks. Very depressed about the state of the Blue Jays, but we'll leave that for later. Um, okay, so yeah, the last question, like, is this sustainable? That's the last question I have. Like, is this weekend and this streak of 15 of 22 games, is it sustainable? I know we just talked about the bullpen. We've talked about the injuries. I mean, Ryan Barucki is now on the injured list. Rowdy Telez is now on the injured list. Rafael Delis, like we said, coming back tomorrow. Fingers crossed. I'll believe it when I see it, but... Can the Blue Jays keep doing this? I asked this question last episode, but can they keep winning in the way that they are? Is this something that we'll see them do series in and series out? I think it is. Uh, I think that's a safe bet because a lot of the regulars, like we talked about with uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., he's starting to come around. Marcus Simeon had an absolutely fantastic road trip. I think he hit, uh, what was it? I had it written down for that. I think he, he hit over 300 for the road trip, and he was great. Uh, obviously, Vladimir Gurriel Jr. has been great. We're going to hopefully see Springer back in June well most likely in June maybe before then but point is is the team right now has been has been fantastic I think when you add a lot of the other guys that they're missing it can only get better than from here yes that there's no guarantee and uh, aspects of the team like the bullpen are definitely going to need to get those reinforcements I think the pitching is going to need to be managed a little bit better but as long as the Blue Jays don't go out and and botch completely the way they manage a series or a game in general, I think it will be good considering all these guys are on the offensive side. They're, they're doing well. They're getting better pitching. We saw obviously better starts from Ross Stripling and Steven Matz. Robbie Ray's been great all season. Hunjin Ryu is, is probably one of the top pitchers in the league. So overall, I think the team it's, it's been good. I, I don't think that the earlier parts of April and May were necessarily an indication of how this team is actually going to perform because 
there were so many injuries. There was the hope that Springer was going to be back. There was the slow starts. Guriel, I think, was hitting under 200 for his first, like, 30 games of the season. So I think the Blue Jays just kind of had a really slow start, and they're looking like they're going to roll with it, especially as they get a lot of these pieces back. I think it is... It's sustainable, and it's not only sustainable, but I think we could be in for a, a fantastic summer as Blue Jay fans as this, maybe the pennant race starts early. Like, the, the AL East, the first four teams are separated by, I think, two games. So this will be a very fun fun season for the team, especially considering that they're they're now getting all those pieces back. Yeah, I think it's sustainable offensively because this is something that we expect. But obviously through the pitching, something has to change, and... If this is the end of the bullpen in terms of going out there and bailing out the starting rotation, um, then obviously the results of the games are going to go a little bit different. I'm not saying the Jays will lose all of it, but there's going to be a lot of what you saw on Sunday in terms of high offensive scoring. And now for a winning formula, how consistent is that? Obviously not really. So that that's where it needs to change a little bit, other than Ryu, because this is minus Ryu. You need this from the other four to pitch at least six innings majority of the time you need to take workload off of the bullpen so this expected collapse doesn't happen or if it does um it's like a it just it's it's a blip it's like a speed bump along the road i'll call it i'll call it at that so that's why that has to change but offensively i've just this is also without george springer and that's why it's it makes me believe that this is something sustainable on paper we expected this this and that the offense is going to be carrying this team but yeah the pitching uh, there's something that has to change we obviously are still waiting on a few guys like like Nate Pearson it seems that Nate Pearson coming back to the major leagues will kind of be up to him obviously there's a there's a setback he's got to be pitching again and then of course it, Ross Atkins, uh, Atkins told the media on the weekend that it'll be up to his control and pretty much all of that in terms of when he's ready to return so it seems like that'll be um, I guess up to Manet Pearson himself. There's also Alec Manoa, who's uh, continued to dominate in AAA, but we will wait for him to start again before we go back on the Manoa watch next week or whatever after the Boston series. So, I mean, maybe maybe um, it, is, it could be consistent for the, the pitching. There's potential for this to be consistent, and that's why um, I'm not overly questioning in the results in terms of that. But either way, I'm happy with it. And uh, before we wrap things up, I just wanted to ask you guys, because this is obviously about Dunedin and Buffalo and all of that. I don't know if you guys heard the comments from Marcus Semyon in terms of not being a fan of Dunedin and playing better on the road and all of that. You know, do you guys agree with that? Like, how have you enjoyed watching games at TD Ballpark under the circumstances? I'm a little conflicted. I mean, obviously the circumstances are what they are, so I'm just kind of hoping that this is kind of the end of the line. I think they have, this is their last homestand in Dunedin and then they go to Buffalo. So hopefully this is it. They're done playing at spring training in minor league stadiums. I think it is, you know, a bit of a fair complaint on the players part, but it's not one that I don't, that I personally would have just, you know, given that it is what it is. There's a lot of uh, things that aren't going right for the, a lot, a lot of places in the world. But yeah, I think that like eventually this team will, go back to the Rogers Center. Maybe it's not this season. I mean, I hope it is, but it's, you know, it's it's a tough situation for Simeon. I, I get it. Like, honestly, at the end of the day, when you're a major leaguer, you want to play in major league caliber stadiums. And, and you know, all, all the credit to the people in Buffalo and Dunedin for making it as best as they possibly can. But it's just, it's not Toronto. And you see that a lot with the Raptors. I'm not trying to compare the two sports, but a lot of them said, you know, Tampa Bay was fantastic to them, but it's not Toronto. So I, I like, I understand the complaints, but... 
I don't it, it is what it is. I mean, there's not too much that we can really do to to change it. Yeah, that's exactly. Like I don't think Marcus Simeon was complaining about it either. I think he was just saying like pretty much what we saw um Fred Van Fleet say in his interview. Like like Tampa's great is just not Toronto. Um and I think it was kind of the same thing Simeon was saying. Like I enjoy living in Florida. I enjoy spending the time here. It's just it's not a big league park and and that's okay. Like, I, I don't think he's complaining. He understands the circumstances, the situation. It's just, it is what it is, but it's not that, that golden pinnacle big league stadium. So, and I think that's true. Like, this is the best case scenario. It's okay. I'm fine with it. I'm going to roll with the punches and, you know, the Blue Jays are doing well, so I'm not complaining about it. Yeah. And I think he was referring more to, in terms of like, the attendance and like how it just doesn't seem like a home game in terms of the fans there, but either way understood and the follow-up. And I heard this on the radio on Sportsman 590 in the morning. I don't know exactly who said it, but I want to ask you guys this theory. When the Jays eventually return to Rogers center, whenever that will be, what are your thoughts on, I guess, obviously you can't do it in March or April. Um, it's gotta be, I guess when the, the, the calendar gets to the warmer months, what are your thoughts of replacing the two game series in Montreal with a two-game series in Buffalo on a yearly basis. Oh, I'm, I'm. You know what? I'm gonna say I think they should do that because I'm gonna look. You know what? I'm a little bit nostalgic for Buffalo, and I don't know why. I think it was just a fun way to watch the Blue Jays last season. So I'm gonna say they do that. Now I don't know if the people in Montreal will like that. Hopefully they get a team soon, so we don't have to worry about that, and we can see them pl- beat the Expos in regular season games. But I, you know what? I'd be all for it. Maybe, I mean, like, here's the thing. Maybe they could do their last four games in, like, split those between the two cities. But, yeah, Buffalo, I mean, Buffalo's a nice city. It was a nice, uh, Salem Field's a nice ballpark. I think that would be, you know, a super fun thing for them to do. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. I don't think it will happen because Buffalo's doesn't have the facilities to host a major league team ordinarily, and they have to bring in the lights and everything. It's not worth it for just, like, two or three games. But, yeah, like like Buffalo and Dunedin have been incredible host cities for the Blue Jays. So, of course, they deserve recognition and appreciation for that. All right, well, we will end it there. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of Section 138. Um, I don't think I ever actually said whether I think this is sustainable for the Blue Jays or not. So I will say, I think it is. I think, like I said, they have enough reinforcements coming. They have Springer coming back eventually. I think it's sustainable. Obviously, they're not going to continue at this pace. They're not going to be able to win 15 out of 22 the entire season, but I think they'll keep it going, and they'll obviously we think they're a good team. We're Blue Jay fans. So, anyways, thank you for listening to this episode. You can rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash section138pod. You can also um follow our social media at section 138 pod we're on instagram we're on twitter and we do the occasional live stream on our youtube account as well where you can watch our episodes so stay tuned to all of those accounts to figure out what we're doing on a daily basis but until then we'll catch you next time